Um, this past Sunday, I gave a message on finances, on money in particular, from our series, Get Wise, Pursuing Wisdom from the Proverbs, and we didn't get any audio or video recording, and normally I'd just say, oh, well, I guess that was just lost to the ether, um, to just the remembrance of those who were there and their notes, but I had a lot of requests for that message, so I'm going back right now and re-recording it from Sunday, um, and hopefully it will be a blessing to you and that you can use it as you're watching this or listening to it. And I do find it kind of funny that everybody wanted this message on money because money is one of those topics that nobody wants to talk about or discuss. In fact, one out of four people wish they didn't have to think about or deal with their finances at all. One out of four people, 25% of us, don't want anything to do with finances. Only 8% of people, only 8% have uh, feel like they have a complete handle on their money. Like they are the ones who have a good grip on it. 8% of people, less than 1 out of 10. And here's the other thing. 1 out of 2 couples says that they have scuffles, fights, discussions um, that are heated about finances, particularly about people's spending habits. So money is one of those things we don't want to talk about. Very few people feel comfortable or confident in how they handle their money and finances. So that's why we need some help. We need some help. Some people say, well, money talks, but all mine ever says is goodbye. And that's why we need to discuss finances and money, and in particular, see what God has to say, because he has a ton of things to say about money. And today, we're going to look particularly at what he says in the Proverbs. And I think that's especially important, because Dave Ramsey has said that if you read Proverbs over and over again and understand it, you'll have a master's degree in finance. A master's degree, because there's so much wisdom in it. In fact, when I went through studying for this message, I found 77 different Proverbs that deal uh, directly with money and finances, and another dozen or so that were related to finance indirectly. And from that, I've, I've boiled it down, because we're not going to talk about all 77 of those verses. That's homework for you as you're studying through the Proverbs, but we're going to talk about just several of them, and from them I've uh, derived seven steps for managing money, seven steps for handling your finances, and if you do these seven steps, it will greatly help you. There's so much wisdom for your life to handle money, so it doesn't have to be one of those issues that cause conflict, fights, worries, stress. Instead, you have a much better handle on your money. So the first step that I want you to do, the first step is to develop a healthy source of income. If you want to start by managing your money and, and handling it well, you've got to have some money coming in. So develop a healthy source of income. Proverbs 13.11 says, Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Dishonest money. So this is money that is acquired by stealing or cheating or lying. Any money like that just dwindles. And that word dwindle in the Hebrew is the word hevel, which occurs a lot in the wisdom literature of the Bible, particularly in the book of Ecclesiastes. If you read through that book, it occurs over and over again. In the NIV, it's translated as meaningless. And what that word means is like it's a mist. It's a vapor. It's a wind that's here today, gone tomorrow. Poof. And it's gone. That's what money that's made dishonestly is. It's accumulated very quickly and then, boom, it's gone. If you've ever seen any mobster movie, you know that they make a ton of money doing dishonest dealing by stealing, cheating, dealing drugs, and then all of a sudden, everything's gone. The, their life's in shambles, their marriage is destroyed, their family's ruined, the business is gone, they're addicted to cocaine, and their life is ruined and they're in jail. 
dishonest money dwindles. But it says, whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. So it's steady. It's a healthy source of income. And that's what we need to strive for. Last week in my message, I talked about work. That we need to have a job. And we need to work hard at that job so that we can get an income. Now, some people are on fixed income. But you still need to have a regular um, income that's healthy, that's steady. And we we see this in particular from the lottery. A lot of people are hoping for this one-time windfall or to inherit a lot of money. But did you know that 70% of people who win the lottery are bankrupt within five years? 70%. And most of us think, well, I wouldn't do that. But 70% doesn't lie. Our human tendency is to spend the money we have. So if you get it all at once, that's what you do. You don't value it. You don't think about how long it's going to last or budget it or plan well. But if you get it little by little and you work for it and earn it, you're going to value it with a lot more importance. I heard one story about a lottery winner. His name was William Budd Post the Third, And Budd was a carny. He worked in the carnival. And one day in his 40s, he won the $16 million Pennsylvania lottery. And what's amazing is that in three months, in three months, he had spent all of his money and he owed a half million dollars. So we went from $16 million in the positive to half a million dollar in the hole in three months. And he had bought things like an airplane, even though he didn't have his pilot's license. Because our human hearts, we spend money on things we don't need. We just splurge when we have the money and you get it um, quickly. Quick money is not good. Get-rich-quick schemes are not smart. Investing in those things like Bernie Madoff, it seems too good to be true. It's too good to be true. We need to earn money in a healthy way. Slow but steady. Little by little. So that's the first thing you need to do. Work hard. Get a steady source of income. Make sure it's healthy, that it's continuing, that you're working hard to get that money in. And then, so that's the first step. The second step is we need to budget our resources. So budget your resources. If you want to learn how to handle your finances, be smart with your money, be wise with your money, budget your resources. Budget your resources. Now, um, online, I'll I'll give you a link to this um, budget resource. Now, this is from Preparing and Rich. It's a thing that I use with every couple that I do premarital counseling with. I make them do a budget, and if you're interested online, I'm going to have the link so that you can get the Excel document. So it has all the formulas built in. You don't even have to do addition and subtraction. It's going to do it for you and give you the totals so you can see where your money is. We need to budget our resources. Proverbs 27, starting in verse 23, says, Be sure you know the conditions of your flock. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever. When the hay is removed and new growth appears and the grass from the hills is gathered in, the lambs will provide you with clothing and the goats with the price of a field. You will have plenty of goat's milk to feed your family and to nourish your female servants. Now, some of us don't think of a herd of goats as uh, money or even a good thing, but in the ancient world, that was a commodity. That was a difficult thing to have a lot of um, animals. And they were important because you'd sell them, they were your source of income, and you needed to raise them from just being young babies, and you needed to foster them, make sure that they were well fed, so that in the fall or in the winter months, you'd have food. Um, You'd have their wool for clothing. You'd be able to sell them. They were an important commodity. So if you had a few sheep that wandered off or wolves came and attacked them, that'd be a really bad thing. be a really bad thing. It's like your money just leaving. And when you get to the end of the year, you think, oh, I just have some more animals. 
then you realize, oh, I needed all of them. I needed all of them. It's like running a business. You need to know what all your resources are. According to a Gallup poll, only 32% of Americans have a budget. 32%. One third of people have a budget. And probably even less than that follow their budget. But we need to do that if we want to be wise. We need to budget our resources. So uh, you need to know where your assets are. Don't think, oh, I got some some cash somewhere. I got these investments over here. I got some money um, under my pillow, some buried in the backyard. No, you need to know where all your assets are, all the things that you own, what money and income do you have coming in. And, and you need to say, okay, now I'm going to budget it. And don't just make that budget and forget about it, but you need to look at it regularly, follow it, refine it as changes happen in your life, because they will. You need to discuss this with your spouse. You need to talk about it regularly. Um, Having a budget is so important. And if you are interested and say, hey, I need some help with this, as a church, we're going to be offering Financial Peace University. This is a great class taught by Dave Ramsey, who is a guru on finances, and it can help you out a ton. I know some people personally who have gotten out of $60,000 in debt within two years by using Dave Ramsey's method. It's a great thing. Keep an eye out for that. Let us know if you're interested in that class and make sure to sign up. You can also listen to him on the radio. It's so important because you need to have a budget. It's wise. Budget your resources. The third step is that you need to give to God first. So you're making this budget now. Well, what do you do first? Give to God first. On this budget worksheet, the very top line is giving. Contributions at tithe. That's the first thing that you should figure out. In Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Honor the Lord with your wealth. It says, with the first fruits of all your crops. So the first thing that you do. When the crops came in in the fall, God said, okay, bring them. When you had the firstborn of your herds, bring them to the temple. That's what was commanded in the Old Testament. It had to be the best. It had to be the first. So that's what we're supposed to do with the first of our income, the first of your paycheck, the first of your income tax return, the first of your inheritance that you receive, the first of a big deal that you close. You bring that and give it to God. Give to God first. In the Old Testament, this was called a tithe, and that word literally means tenth. means tenth. Now, in the New Testament, we're not given a command over exact percentage or amount, uh, but we are, I think that's a really good starting point, is, okay, a tenth of my income, 10%. If God has given me all of this, I'm going to give back a tenth to him. That's a good starting point. In in, uh, 2 Corinthians 9-7, We read, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So it's in your heart you decide. It's between you and God, not between you and me, not between you and anybody else. You should probably talk about it with your spouse. But it's between you and God, so you need to decide on that percentage. What is it? Okay, where, if we haven't been giving at all, where can we start? And the reality is, is that you need to be tithing. You need to be tithing. One study found that only 5% of American Christians, 5% give 10% or more. Only 5% of American Christians. That's absurd. We need to get that number up. Everyone in our church, everyone listening to this message right now, should say, hey, i got to give to God first. A tithe should be where you start. And in fact, a lot of people, maybe most people, should be giving more than that to God. John Piper has said, My conviction is that most middle and upper class Americans who merely tithe 
are robbing God. God has given us so much and we can give Him back even just a fraction of what we've given. So you need to decide in your heart. You need to prayerfully consider what is God asking me to give. And it's got to be that percentage because that shows where your heart is. Are you trusting God with your finances? Are you trusting Him with the money He has given? Now, I'm a Broncos fan, and I know a lot of people watching this and listening are Broncos fans as well. Living here in Denver, we love the Broncos, and we hate the Raiders. However, if you saw this interview recently with Derek Carr, you might be a little more inclined at least to respect him. Because Derek Carr was awarded the highest paying salary per year in the NFL history. He was given $125 million over five years. And this is what he said at the press conference right after he signed this amazing contract. Your priorities are in life and everything are well known, but it is a huge contract. Um, just, and you're not really an extravagant guy, but is there one thing that, you, that you're going to sort of splurge on that you can let Chick, us know? Chick-fil-A. Probably Chick-fil-A. Uh, I've been eating clean. Lad, we got Lad here. He's been having me eat clean. I'll probably get some Chick-fil-A. But uh, no. Uh, first thing I'll do is I'll pay my tithe like I have since I was in college. Getting $700 on a scholarship check. Um, you know, that, that won't change. I'll do that. Uh, I'll probably give my wife something nice. The, the exciting thing for me money-wise, honestly, is that this money is going to help a lot of people. Um, uh, you know, I'm very thankful to have it, that it's in our hands because it's going to help people not only in this country, but in a lot of countries around the world. Um, and that's, what, that's what's exciting to me. Isn't that incredible? I wish that we were all like that. And, and some of us think, oh, once I'm richer, once I have more money, then I'll give back to God. Then I'll be generous. But if you don't start now, you won't do it then. It'll be harder. The more you have, the harder it is to give. So you've got to start now. Even Derek Carr said when he was receiving a check of $700, he was tithing on it. And you need to do the same. No matter your income, whether you're on a fixed income or it's very little, say, I need to give to God first and then live off the other 90% of the other percentage that you've decided to keep for yourself. And you're giving, when you give to God, it's not just this tithe that you give to the church. In Proverbs 19.17 we read, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. So if you are kind to the poor, if you're generous to those people who are in need around you, whether they're fa- friends, family, people you don't even know, to organizations that help those who are in need, missions organizations, when you're giving, those are your offerings. And we need to be generous because when you do give to those people, you are lending to the Lord. So we need to be generous all around to everyone. And I do encourage people and I challenge people to give. So give your tithes to God. Um, I encourage you to give that to your church, uh, hopefully here at uh, Stapleton Fellowship Church or whatever your home church is if you uh, belong to a different church. And then also on top of that, give offerings. And even here at our church, we've been collecting our Forward Faster campaign, $50,000. And right now, praise God, we are at halfway there. We've raised over $25,000 now. And this is an offering because we're asking people to give above and beyond their regular contributions, their tithe. And that's what an offering is. But wherever you give, it's to the Lord. And I do want to give this challenge. If you're new to our church, or you say, hey, Matt, I just don't trust you, that's fine. Give somewhere. Give somewhere. I don't care where it is. Just give. God wants you to give because he wants to grow you as a person. And and as you're giving, you're going to be rewarded. Did you see all the rewards that we're talking about in both of those passages? In, In 
Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, it said, if you give, if you honor the Lord with your wealth, your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, some of us, uh, you know, even today would, would be happy with a, a vat brimming over with new wine. But the point is that the resources that we want and long for, God wants to bless us with. He wants us to give us the things we need and bless us. And in the second passage in Proverbs 19, 17, it says, If you do give to the poor and lend to the Lord, he will reward them for what they have done. There are so many rewards. I've heard it said by a Bible scholar that there are more promises related to giving than to any other action in the entire Bible. There are more rewards, more blessing that God wants to give you related to giving. He wants you to be generous because he wants to bless you. So that's why I say, if you're not ready to trust SFC with your money, give it somewhere else. And hopefully you'll come to trust us, you'll come to trust me. But just give, because I want you to experience the blessings God has for you. Sometimes they're financial, but they are rewards that come forward into heaven. They are the rewards that God has for us that will be not just in this life, but in the age to come as well. Darren Whitehead is a pastor now, and before he was a pastor in his early 20s, he tells a story about that time, and he was working at a Christian radio program. And this radio station didn't pay him very much, uh, but it did give him a company car. So he was trying to figure out what to do, and he just said, Hey, I'm going to sell my own car because I have this one nice perk. So he listed his car, and it was up for days, for weeks, and he got no bites. Nobody was interested in buying his car, so he sat down one evening and was praying about it and asked God to help him sell his car. And he said, hey God, if you help me sell this car, I will give, and popped into his mind a couple that he worked with, um, and the husband he worked with, one of his co-workers, and they were struggling financially, and he said, told God, God, if you help me sell this car, I'll give a sizable donation. I'll give a lot of money to this couple. Well, what happened next? He sold the car. And he was praying again, and he felt God saying, well, are you going to keep up your end of the bargain? And he said, okay, I'll do it. So the next day, went to the bank, took out a whole wad of cash, stuffed it in an envelope, and then drove over when it got dark to his co-worker's house, parked around the block, snuck through in the night, opened up the mailbox, and stuffed that envelope full of cash into this co-worker's mailbox, closed it, and ran off. Well, the next day, he came into work, and there was this co-worker, and he was sobbing. And around him, he had all the other people working there, and, and he was like, Darren, Darren, i got to tell you what happened. God gave me a miracle. And Darren knew what had happened because he was the one who had given the cash. But he didn't say, no, that wasn't a miracle. Instead, he realized that he had been a part of the miracle. And God gives us an opportunity to change lives, to impact lots of people as we give. And that's why we're generous. That's why we give to God first and watch as he rewards us, as he gives us joy, as he blesses us beyond anything we could ask or imagine. So the third step is give to God first. You're making this budget. Give to God first. The next thing you do, step four, is to save second. It's the next thing on this budget. You've given to God. You've written down how much tithe you want to give as uh, your income that's coming in. And now you're saying, well, how much do I save? How much do I save? That's the second thing you should be thinking. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise store up choice food in olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. So you have this 
stuff coming in and for you you're like olive oil who cares but that was an important commodity in the ancient world that was difficult to acquire and it was very expensive so if you had it it says just save it don't waste it all at once don't be the fool who blows it all one out of three people in our country have zero emergency savings so if they lost their income right now they would be in a massive trouble and the the two-thirds that do save only half of those have enough to last beyond 90 days so if there was anything that lasted more than three months of financial struggle, they would be in a world of hurt. We need to be saving up so that we don't have to rely on other people, but that we have saved up and planned for emergencies because you probably will have emergencies. In fact, one study found that 82% of the Americans haven't experienced an economic shock in the last year. That means each year, 82% of people will have expenses, difficult expenses, that they didn't plan for. Economic shock. And of those 82%, 55% of more than half of them have found it difficult just to survive. So there's a very high likelihood that there will be expenses in this next year that you will not have foreseen. You need to be saving money. Second, don't wait until you've spent all your money for the month or for the year and said, okay, well, what do I have left over? Because there won't be anything left. You will have spent it unless you deliberately have said, now I've given to God. Second, I'm going to save for myself. I need to plan for the future. Okay, whether this is for retirement, whether this is for your emergency fund, for your kids, whatever you're saving for, you need to save money. It's the wise thing to do. And this thing that we're saving is not just for us personally. Proverbs 13.22 declares, A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. We need to think of the inheritance we leave behind. What are we leaving not just for our kids, but for our children's children? We need to think of the next generations to come. The concept of giving an inheritance to your kids or to your grandkids is a tricky subject because even in um, our American culture, we have a saying, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. It's very easy for people who didn't earn the money to waste it very quickly. But you have to understand the ancient culture. When you passed on an inheritance to your kids or your grandkids, it wasn't passing on money necessarily, though that would have been a component perhaps of what you gave. But what you were giving them were the flocks, the herds, the land, the business that you had been building. It was, it was a way to sustain life, families. It was a business to make money. And what would have happened were the parents and the grandparents would have taken their kids and grandkids and trained them over years, over decades, how to run this business, how to care for the animals, how to tend the land. And after they did that for long enough, then they would learn how to do it and they would appreciate it much more. So when the Bible encourages us to save up as an inheritance for our children's children, what it's telling us to do is to leave a legacy, leave a legacy behind us. What are you leaving to your kids and grandkids? What are you going to set them up with so that they can succeed in life? Alfred so what's the legacy that you're going to leave? Is it going to be teaching them how to run a business, how to manage their finances, passing on wisdom about finances, teaching them about credit cards and how they're terrible to use and they can get you into a lot of trouble, teaching them how to do a budget, all these different things. Are you going to pass on that wisdom? Are you going to leave a legacy? Are you going to live a legacy of generosity to the generations that come after you? Alfred Nobel 
you likely know from the Nobel Prizes, the Nobel Peace Prize, and there's a whole slew of other prizes that are given out every year, and they contain his name, Nobel. But you probably don't know that Alfred Nobel was the inventor of dynamite. And he got famous for doing this in his day, and he made a fortune selling weapons of war. But what happened to him was that when he was still alive, one day his brother died. And when his brother died, one newspaper mistakenly thought that Alfred had died. So they wrote up an obituary in the paper with the title, The Merchant of Death is Dead. And that's when Alfred Nobel realized that this was the legacy he was leaving behind. Being known as the Merchant of Death, making his fortune because of the weapons of war, the bombs that he had helped create. And he realized that's not the legacy he wanted to leave, so he changed that. And that's when he established the Nobel Prizes, leaving behind a foundation and a huge, generous amount of money that's given away to many different people every year for great things that are done. He's left behind an amazing legacy for others and of generosity. So what's the legacy you're leaving behind? What are you saving up to give your kids and grandkids? Are you creating a legacy for them for the future? We need to save second. That's our fourth point today. But the fifth one is to run for your life from debt. Run for your life from debt. Don't mess around. Proverbs 6, 1 and 5 begins, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have shaken hands and pledged for a stranger, you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by your words of your mouth. So do this, my son, to free yourself. Go to the point of exhaustion, Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. This is talking about a very particular type of debt, but it says you need to run for your life from debt. And this can be all debt. Proverbs 22.7 declares the borrower is slave to the lender. Slave. Being in debt is like slavery. It's like shackles around you. It's a burden that's put upon you. If you've ever had debt, you feel that weight on you. I better keep working. I've got to pay off this debt. Oh no, now the debt collectors are calling me. The collections agency. It's, it's brutal. It's difficult. It's like slavery. And that's why we need to run for our life from debt. That passage says we need to do whatever we can. Go to the point of exhaustion. No sleep, no slumber until we free ourselves from debt. It says like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter. Now, if you've ever heard Dave Ramsey, you've probably heard him talk about gazelle intensity. This is one of the terms he uses for how fast and how much we need to work to get out of debt. One of the hunters of gazelles, I think this is, metaphor is really poignant here, because one of the things about gazelles, their hunter is, of course, a cheetah. And a cheetah can go from 1 to 47 miles per hour in four leaps. So when these cheetahs are jumping out from the grass to try to get a gazelle, gazelles have to run for their life very quickly. But here's the thing. Gazelles are not as fast as cheetahs. Cheetahs are way faster than gazelles. So they know in order to get away, we have to do whatever we can. Run in packs, run in different directions. And what's amazing about gazelles is that the cheetah only catches them one out of 18 times. Because they run for their life from debt. Okay, that's what we need to do when we're running for, from, from debt. Like we're running from the cheetah that's about to kill us, pounce on us. 
That's what debt wants to do. It wants to control us. And we as Americans need to do this so much. In 2016, the average American household had $16,000 of credit card debt, $29,000 of auto debt, and $50,000 of student debt. That's almost $100,000 in debt that the average American household held. This doesn't even include your home ownership. Because in our culture, home ownership is kind of a different beast. And a lot of people consider, okay, having a mortgage, it's kind of different than the debt that we're talking about here. So this is what we need to do. Run for your life from debt. One out of four Americans have more debt than savings. Half of Americans have installment loans on purchased goods. So this isn't even those things. This is like a sofa or a TV. 35% of Americans have had debt or unpaid bills reported to collections. And here's the thing that's really important for us. In 2010, Denver had the highest debt per capita in the entire country. Ooh. And Colorado as a whole is ranked fourth in the nation for the amount of debt per capita. People in Colorado, on average, have debt that doubles their income. So what they make in a year, their debt is double that. We need to run for our lives from debt. We have to get out of it. And I heard a simple plan, a simple way to get out of debt to remember. It's the ABCD plan. A, accumulate no new debt. Don't get that credit card. Don't make that purchase. B, bring in additional income. C, change habits. Yeah, you're going to have to. And then D, develop a plan to pay off debt and work smallest debts to largest until you pay them all off. We need to do this, and I want to challenge you. Those of you who are young and listening to this and don't have debt yet, you're a student or, 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 or still in high school or wherever you are, don't get debt. Don't get that credit card. Don't spend all that money on something that you don't need. Work hard and save up for it. So if you're saying, hey, I want to get married, but I don't have enough money for a ring, save up for it. Don't bring your debt into your marriage because that will make it even more complicated when you get married. If someone in your family dies and you want to travel to go to the funeral, but you don't have the money, don't put it on a credit card. These are the difficult decisions you are going to have to make, that we have to make if we want to run for our lives from debt. It's not worth it to take any more debt on. And I do want to say this. Don't borrow money from friends or family. Just don't do it. It will ruin relationships. It will mess things up. And if someone does ask you for money, they're coming to you to lend to them, know that what you're doing is that you are giving it to them. Don't expect ever to receive return because it will either ruin the relationship and you probably won't see that money back. And I do want to say we've been asking for money here at the church for our Forward Faster campaign. We've cut our spending a lot here, but we've also been asking for money so that we can pay off the credit card debt that has been here from decisions made before I came on staff. And we, to this point, in just over a month, have paid off 42% of our debt. 42% of our credit card debt is gone, and very soon we're going to have the rest of it paid off because we're running for our lives from debt, and we're not going to bring on more new debt. We're just not. And that's what you need to do with your finances. Run for your life from debt. The sixth thing to manage your money is to prioritize your spending. Prioritize your spending. 
Proverbs 21.17 says, Whoever loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. If you have luxurious tastes and desires, you will become poor. You need to prioritize your spending. What's most important to me? This means that you probably don't need to spend money on avocado toast. It's not a necessity. Now, I want to give a few tips on prioritizing your spending because what you should be doing as you're making your budget is going through all your spending that you've done. And, and one, there's two different ways to do it. The old school way of doing it is to just accumulate all your receipts for about a period of three months and then write down everything that you're spending money on and, and categorize it in that budget worksheet or something along the lines of QuickBooks or, or using an app. Whatever you use, just make a budget. But you go through it then and rank it from 1 to 100 or whatever amount of spending you have. And then just decide, okay, what's most important, what's least important. And what you should probably do is the last three or five things, just get rid of them off the bat. You don't need them. Whether you have a lot of money or whether you have very little and you're struggling to get by, just get rid of those last few things because they're not priorities to you. You should be spending on things that are more important to you. You'll be amazed when you look at this about how much you're wasting money on things you don't care about. So that's the old school way of doing it, going through your receipts. The new school way is a lot simpler, just going on to your online banking. Wherever you bank, go online, log in, and it will have all of your spending that you've done. And it'll go back a period of time, maybe a few years. And you can look at it and say, it will break it down into those categories for you. You might have to do a little bit of tweaking, but you'll see, okay, I'm spending X amount on this per month. I'm spending on this and this. And you have all that, so you can start on your budget worksheet from what you're actually spending on. And you'll see, okay, whoa, how much did I spend on cotton candy? How much did I spend on beer and pretzels? Whoa, I need to calm that down. Whatever the thing is, because you're going to realize that isn't a priority to me. Priority to me. I'm spending on things that aren't important to me, and let's change that. Let's spend the money on the things that are important to you. So I do want to give you then a few tips for spending. Now these tips are particularly for those of you who are in debt or who are struggling financially because you want to run for your life from debt and you want to get healthy financially. So if you are struggling, here's some tips so that you can get healthy, so that you can get out of debt very quickly. And they're probably good tips for anybody. But before I give them, I also want to give this word of advice. We are Christians. Some of you aren't watching this, but no matter what, we are not supposed to judge each other. Everybody has different priorities. People have different spending habits. We don't judge people by what they spend money on and what they choose to use their money for. We just don't. That's not what our job as Christians is to do. We need to ask for forgiveness for how judgmental we are because they spent money on those boots. Ugh, and they're ugly too. Or, oh, he bought a boat. Okay, we just don't judge people on those things. But here's the tips then to help you with your spending, particularly for people who are struggling financially. First thing, you don't need a latte. Brew coffee at home. You don't need internet at home. Go to a public library. Get it for free. You don't need cable. Period. You don't need a gym membership. Just go run outside. You don't need a car. Ride the bus, carpool, or get a bike. That'll help with the gym membership. When you go out to eat... You don't need to buy soda or a beer. Drink water. When you're eating, here's a tip. You don't need fancy food. All you need is rice and beans and take a multivitamin. If you're going for a short period of time to save up money or to get out of debt, you'll survive. 
you need to be serious about cutting your spending and prioritizing what's important. My professor from seminary, Craig Blomberg, in his book on money said that yesterday's luxuries need not always become today's necessities, even if everyone around us acquires them. They just don't. Prioritize what's important to me, what's important to my family, what's important to my faith. And go from there, get rid of the things that are unimportant. And what's going to happen, whether you have a huge income or a small fixed income, or are struggling right now, you're outside of a job, when you prioritize your spending, you're going to be amazed that you have more to save, more to spend on the things you want to, and more to give. John Wesley had a motto, and it was, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. The more you earn, it's a good thing. Make more money. We talked about it last week with work. Earn more money, that's good. Save more money, and then give more money. You'll be amazed how much more joy and happiness you'll find in your lives. So we need to prioritize our spending. As we're talking about all of this, some of you guys feel the burden because you aren't managing your finances very well, you're you're struggling, you're not where you want to be with your income, and that's why our seventh step is so important. Remember that money isn't everything. Remember that money isn't everything. It's not what it's all about. Proverbs 11.4 says, Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. There will come a day when you die and all the money, all the 401k, all the investments, all the retirement that you've accumulated, all the things that you've built in your house, all the property you own, all your toys that you have, all of it will be gone. You're not taking it with you. You came into the world naked, you're leaving naked. So we need to realize what is important. In that book I mentioned earlier by Craig Blomberg on finances, he uses a really interesting metaphor for this. He says, just imagine that you're at an art museum or a... um, Just imagine you're at an art museum and you see this man go up and look at some of the art on the wall and say, oh, wow, that's just beautiful. And you see him grab the art off the wall and put it underneath his armpit. You're like, well, that's odd. What is he doing? He moves then into the next room and he, he looks at that art. Oh, wow, I just love how the blues and the greens mix together. That is art. So he takes that piece of art off the wall and stubs it under his armpit. And then he goes to the next room and the next room and the next room and does the same thing everywhere he goes. And so finally you walk up to this man and you say, well, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm an art collector. And you're like, what? An art collector? Are you purchasing these pieces of art? Are you you collecting them? Are you going to buy them? And he's like, no, no, I'm not going to buy them. And then he say, well, you know, there's security at the front. They're not going to let you out with that art. And he says, oh, I know. But when I walk around with this art, I just feel so important. People look at me with respect in their eyes because I have art. How foolish and stupid is that person? That art isn't his. He's not taking it with him. He's going to have it for a few hours until security guards get mad and make him put him back. Or he gets arrested. How stupid is that? That's what we are in this world. Our lives on this planet are short. Money, stuff, the wealth we accumulate will be gone. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we're not taking any of it with us. Wealth is worthless on the day of wrath. It's not about how much you've accumulated or earned over a lifetime that's going to make a difference when you stand before Christ. It is going to make a difference between how you used your money while you're here on earth. 
So our seventh seventh point to keep all of the things in mind is remember that money isn't everything. It's not what it's about. So that leads us to our big idea for today. Our big idea for this message is to control your money or it will control you. You've got to go through these seven steps. You've got to develop wisdom in your life when it comes to managing money. Because you need to learn how to control your money or it will control you. You will either have this spending going out, this money going out that you're like, ah, I'm spending more than I'm taking in or I'm spending on things that I don't care about. It's controlling you. Your desires that you have for stuff, all of a sudden, your money's gone. It's controlling you. Or you'll be in debt and it's just this burden on you that you can't get out of. You're not able to do the things you want in your life because of so much debt piling up on you. Control your money or it will control you. Billy Graham once said, There is nothing wrong with men possessing riches. The wrong comes when riches possess men. So I'm going to challenge you. Today, this week, work on a budget. Come up with the draft. Sit down with your spouse and write a budget. Be wise. Work on this. Take these steps and say, how am I going to make a budget? How am I going to learn to manage my money so it's going where I want it to go, so it's not controlling my life? Learn how to take the wisdom from God and apply it to your life. Make it stick. And what we need to remember once again is that money isn't everything. In fact, there is something, someone way more important than money. Someone of greater worth than gold. And that's Jesus Christ. It says in the scriptures that Jesus, though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. You see, Jesus had everything in heaven. He had angels worshiping him and bowing down for him. He had everything at his fingertips. And yet he gave it all up to become a human, to become a servant for us. He emptied himself. And he lived as a poor servant, giving of himself and of his time to others eating whatever people would give to him to eat, staying wherever he had a place or that they would give him a place to stay. And he became poor for our sake. And on top of that, he gave up even more because he gave his own life to die on the cross for us. He gave everything away, the ultimate example of generosity. And when he did that, he enabled a way for us to be restored to God, to be forgiven And when we look at his gift of what he's done for us, how can we not then allow God to tell us, to teach us how to use our finances? How can we not then give away our money? How can we not then be generous to others? There's an old sermon by Robert McShane, who is an old preacher. And at the end of it, he said this, something similar to this. Imagine you're standing before Jesus. And you say, well, Jesus, I I didn't give very much money away because it was mine. I earned it. It's my money. And Jesus said, well, my blood was my own. And yet I gave it for you. And you say, "Well, well, the poor are undeserving. They just waste the money that I give to them. And Jesus would say, well, people have wasted my blood. They are undeserving. You are undeserving of me dying on the cross for you. And and then you say, well, I I didn't want to give away money because people just abuse it. And Jesus said, think of all the people that have trampled on my blood and ignored the free gift of salvation 
that is just waiting there for them. When we consider what Jesus did for us, when we imagine the day that we will stand before him, how can we not learn that we need to manage our money and we need to be generous with it, to earn all we can, to save all we can, so that we can give all we can to others and to God. Our money is not our own, and it certainly isn't everything. Instead of letting our money control us, let's control our money, because Jesus Christ gave everything for us, and we can give to him too. Let's pray. God, I thank you for sending your Son and giving us everything. He gave his own life, he gave his blood for us on the cross, and we have abused it. And we've abused the money that you've given us. We haven't used it wisely. We've made bad purchases. We've wasted it. We've gone in debt. And I pray that for all of us, that we would be able to manage our money, that we would start making wise decisions from this day forward. pray that you give us your strength and your Holy Spirit, that we might be able to um, just learn how to budget wisely and make wise choices about our spending to prioritize things so that we can get on track. pray that you'd help us have the right attitude when it comes to money. And remember, it's not everything. And I pray that your um, spirit of generosity that we see in Jesus Christ on the cross would infect our lives, that we would be filled with that generosity and we'd be able to give back to you and to others. Lord, I just pray that you would bless us and help us learn how to manage our money wisely. In Jesus' name we pray all this. Amen. Mm -hmm.